but there is a fundamental thing that must be in our lives. We cannot obey God fully nor have self-control unless we have genuinely surrendered our lives over to the Lord. We can never be good enough on our own. We need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God to be able to effectively obey God and to have self-control. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be talking about obedience and self-control. In a world where we're encouraged to just do whatever we feel like doing, to just make ourselves happy, it is important now more than ever to obey the Lord and to exercise self-control. Many so-called believers are not obeying God nor exercising the self-control they need so that they can effectively have the salvation that God wants them to have through the Lord. Without obeying God and exercising self-control, no one will be able to find salvation. True faith in Christ will always exhibit obedience to God and self-control. Today's message is based on the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. Let us listen to what God's Word has to say about this. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise you, we worship you, O Lord God. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father. Blessed be your name, O Lord, forever and ever, for you are worthy to be praised and exalted above all things. O Lord, please forgive my sins and my wrongs. Heavenly Father, Lord God, please forgive my mistakes. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O Lord, that you always remember me in your mercy and in your grace. Heavenly Father, please have mercy on us because we need your mercy. We depend on your mercy and on your love. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, I pray humbly that you please, O Lord, open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to understand, O Lord. Help us to be sensitive to you. Help us, O Lord, to have a willing heart Lord God, I give you thanks and I praise you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity that you give us to share your word. Please, O oh Lord, help us to take it in like we need to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture reading today can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. This is the word of the Lord. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of sin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, 
Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. One of the major misconceptions in Christianity today is the notion that we are saved by grace, and that if we start to think about putting responsibility of good works unto a person, then we are returning to the law for salvation. But if we look in the Bible for our answers, where we're supposed to look, we will find that faith is nothing without good works, that God's expectation is to see a product to be generated from our lives, and that producing good works has nothing to do with returning to the law. This is where obedience and self-control come into play because good works can only be generated if we obey the Lord and have self-control over our sinful nature that is still present. This concept of grace over good works, if you will, has been causing for some time many problems in many Christians over the years and until today. And these problems are quite evident and visible. The first problem that we can see is that God's grace is being abused and taken advantage of. Is there forgiveness of sins in Christ? Of course. That is a major reason for why God sent His Son into the world to die for our sins, so that through the blood of Christ, our sins could be washed away and forgiven, if we repent and convert from them, of course. Are we going to be perfect after coming to Christ? No. It's not possible for us to be perfect while in this worth due to the sin that still dwells within our flesh. But does that mean that we can sin freely while being in Christ? Absolutely not. Salvation and forgiveness of sins is not a license to sin. That is not the way God's grace works. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, explains this very problem even further, where it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you see, it is quite clear that we cannot be indifferent to sin after coming to Christ, nor should we take sin lightly. According to what we just read, when we make a decision for Christ, we make a decision to die to ourselves, to die to the sin within us, to turn away from our sinful ways. It's not about, well, Christ forgave me and he will continue forgiving me no matter what, so I'm just going to continue living life however I feel like it. When we give our lives over to the Lord, it's just that. We are handing our lives over to him by repenting and converting or turning away from our sinful ways. The Bible is very clear in that when we have come to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we cannot lead a lifestyle of sin, of just doing whatever we feel like it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 continues explaining the following. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covets, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And swear to some of you, but you were washed 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's very clear that a lifestyle of sin will not let you inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul explains that if we are in Christ, that we were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. But it doesn't say for us to continue just as we were, to just continue down the path of destruction. This is the first main problem of why sin cannot be allowed to roam free in our lives, if you will. As we mentioned before, there is forgiveness and an incredible grace to be found in Christ. But the practice of sin needs to end. John chapter 8 narrates the following story where it makes it very clear to us. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went one out by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so we read that Jesus did not condemn the woman, even though she was an adulterous woman, and he had all the right to condemn her because he was perfect. But look at the detail towards the end of the story. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. And here is a very big detail where he says, go and sin no more. She was forgiven. Christ gave her a new beginning, a new opportunity. He saved her from the physical penalty of her sin according to the law of Moses, which is in the Bible. But as a condition of her new beginning, he told her not to sin anymore. What does that mean? To stop committing the sin she was doing, to turn away from the sin that led her to this point to begin with. Adultery nearly got her killed if it wasn't for Jesus. Don't commit any more adultery. That's the point. And so salvation is predicated on a person's repentance and conversion from sin before the eyes of the Lord. And it should be quite easy to understand. God gives you a fresh start, a new beginning in Christ. Well then, make it then a fresh start and a new beginning. Make that the intention of your heart. Now, Outside of repentance and conversion being a part of the salvation process in a person, for what else is it important? And the answer is that when Christ regenerates a life through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word, then that gives hope to others that are lost. We are to be the light of the world. When people that are lost in their sins see our lives as the redeemed of God, they should be able to see a difference not necessarily a moral difference, but ultimately the presence of God in our lives, the reflection of Jesus in what we do. 
A fruit of the Spirit is not necessarily going to church or giving some money for something or having a holier-than-thou kind of attitude or letting people take advantage of you. The fruit of the Spirit of God is looking to be generated in our lives is explained in Galatians chapter 5 where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And look at what the passage continues saying. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is what people need to see in us, in everything that we do, even when we have to do tough jobs or make difficult decisions. But what happens today in much of the so-called people of God? In many cases, there is no real difference between our lifestyle and the world's lifestyle. Most people are doing what everyone else is. It almost seems like the followers of Christ want to fit back into the world. Many Christians are living in sin between fornication, adultery, not caring for the needs of others, living selfish lives, stealing, being dishonest at work with their employers, with their clients, and so on. The people of the world cannot find much hope looking at the church of Jesus Christ today. Many people are afraid of coming to church because they think that church leadership just wants their money and their resources, that they're going to be taken advantage of. I hate to say it, but I can't disagree very much with that because I can clearly see how they can think that. And churches have become very cold places. I witnessed this myself upon, you know, once upon a time and we were all able to go freely to church. You remember that? People would walk into a church and would walk out the same because nobody cared about the visitors, because the church folks were just too busy with their friends and family, with their church activities, and the visitors were on their own. I know it because... It happened to me many times as a visitor. I don't go into a church and, you know, that I might visit announcing myself as a minister or a preacher because that's not what should happen. I would just walk in like everyone else off the street and, and I would go in and out and no one cared whether I had a problem or needed some help, whether I knew Jesus or not. Nobody would know my name because no one would ask. And I have to say, secular organizations and government do much more for the needy and the sick and the people in pain than what the church does. Quite frankly, our Christian churches today exhibit more selfishness and indifference than ever before, and much more of this than even groups of people that do not proclaim to know anything about God. The world cannot see the light that the church should produce in the world because of its sin. The love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that the Bible talks about is not very visible. What is the other visible problem that is related to all of this? Laziness. This whole notion of taking advantage of God's grace and that you don't need to do anything has enforced and justified a spirit of laziness. There is hardly any labor for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the salvation of souls, and for tending to the needs of people. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you understand what we just read? We are called to be diligent, to make our call and election sure. We are called through Christ to add virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love to our faith. And if we do these things, then it says that we will never stumble and that through these things, an entrance will be supplied to us abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what happens if you don't do these things? If we don't, then we will stumble because that is what happens when the conditions are not met. And if we don't do these things, then we may not have an abundant entrance supplied to us into the Lord's everlasting kingdom. Our salvation in Christ has a purpose. We were saved for a reason, for a why. We were not saved so that we can just continue sinning and living carelessly and to just fulfill our own sinful desires and wants and needs. God has already given us the greatest service anyone could ever give us, and that is giving us this unmerited and wonderful grace through Jesus Christ. There is really nothing more for God to give. Quite frankly, God has never existed to serve us. He is God. God is God. Jesus came as the suffering servant to fulfill the will of the Father, but He is that no longer. He is now sitting at his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God as the God he is in all of his majesty and glory. So we are the ones that are called to listen to him, to heed his word, his loving call for every man to repent and convert from their sins so that man can have eternal life. And the purpose for our existence, for us to be saved, is so we can love God, so we could serve Him, the one that has given it all to us, the one that is worthy of all glory and honor and praise forever and ever. So what could we learn through today's key passage, which has generated this discussion? I could tell you that there have been very few people like this Moses. Moses is so special in the eyes of God that he is one of the two witnesses that will come back during the end times to give the opportunity for the people of Israel to turn back to God through Jesus Christ. That is just how special this Moses was and is to God. But even the great Moses didn't always get it right. In our key passage today, we saw that Moses committed a mistake because he did not follow or obey what God told him because he was overtaken by the evil and the rebellion of the people. So through this, 
We need to learn just how important it is to obey God, to at least try to do as best as possible what he tells us to do, even though we may not fully understand what he is asking us to do and to have self-control so that we are not overtaken by the people or our circumstances that we might find ourselves in. But there is a fundamental thing that must be in our lives. We cannot obey God fully nor have self-control unless we have genuinely surrendered our lives over to the Lord. We can never be good enough on our own. We need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God to be able to effectively obey God and to have self-control. And the way the Holy Spirit can come to live within our lives is by repenting and converting from all of our sins, not just some, but all of them, and by surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We must make Jesus the Lord of our lives. He cannot just be our Savior. He must be the Lord. And why is that? Because we must belong to Him in order to be His. If we were just to save us, then that's all it is. We would be getting a service. But if a service is all we would be receiving, then at some point, even that service would be lost because there would be no possession of God on our lives, no direction from the Lord. We were lost on our own, so we need His direction, but we need for Him to be Lord and Master. That is why when there is that kind of relationship with the Lord, then there is no more looking to fulfill our own will, no room to do our own thing. A Lord-servant relationship, our will must be surrendered and subjected to His will, to His desire. This is where effective obedience comes in. If God tells you to do something or not to do something, then if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you should just do what you are told, independently whether you understand or not. And for that to happen, there must be a high level of faith and trust, knowing that whatever God asks you to do, that it is for your benefit and for the benefit of others, because God will always order things in a way that he takes you to fulfill the second commandment after learning to love him. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. We always need to remember that Jesus is our example and Jesus obeyed his father even up to the point of dying on the cross. God sent him to surrender his life and he did so. And Jesus didn't do it because he was gaining something personal per se. Jesus is the son of God, whether he came to this earth or not. Nothing can change that reality. Nothing can change the Holy Trinity of God. And so God to Moses to speak to the rock before the eyes of the people and that it would yield its water. But what happened? Moses was overtaken by the constant complaining and rebelling of the people of Israel. And because he was overtaken by his anger, he didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock twice. Moses disobeyed because he let the people get the best of him. This is the reason we must learn that we need to obey God no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how stressed or anxious we may be, no matter how much other people get on our nerves or how they may pressure us to do things against God. And so if the great Moses had his issues, then what would be left for us? Because I can guarantee you that none of us are like this Moses. Quite frankly, very, very few people in history could have been like this Moses. But the great thing is that we can depend on God and his Holy Spirit within us under direction of his word to overcome anything and everything we need to.
We have more than we could ever need in Christ. This is why one of the most important things after we come to Christ is to get deep into God's word and we need to obey what is written. This is what is written. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has equipped us through his Holy Spirit, through his word, so that we can do good works, the ones he made for us to walk in for when we would come to his salvation. Just as it is written, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So is looking to obey God, having self-control, not giving into the world and doing good works, returning to the law? Absolutely not. God made you for doing good works. That is the truth because it is also written. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the needs which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so this has always been God's plan for us to do good works. And especially now that we have been saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That's the reason. God wants to see fruit. Otherwise, just like we read, if there is no product, no good works, nothing to show for the faith that is professed, then what is there? I have to tell you, there is nothing. And if there is nothing, then can there be salvation? Absolutely not. Faith in Christ ultimately yields those things that are written in the Bible in our lives. Everything that the fruit of the Spirit generates, I urge you to endeavor to understand what is truly happening in your life. What is it that you are living? Is God working in your life? Are you letting Him work in your life? Or are you just living for yourself and for your own self-interest and your own personal agenda? Obedience and self-control are essentials in the life of every believer. 
We need to obey God. We need to obey His Word. We need to practice faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ should produce the desire to obey God, to follow Him, to do what He tells us to do. That's why the Bible exists, so we can read it, so we can study it, so we can ultimately do what it says we should do. It's very clear, and it addresses every single aspect of our lives. Our work and school life, our personal life, our spiritual life, every single aspect a person could ever have. And self-control is vital because this is what enables you through the power of the Holy Spirit because it is a fruit of the Spirit to put under control, under subjection, the sin that still dwells within us. The Bible is clear in this where it says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so we can never be controlled by anything else outside of the Lord. Otherwise, if we allow ourselves to be overtaken by something outside of God, then we are subjecting ourselves to that thing or person, thereby making that our master and Lord, and that cannot be. There is room for only one Lord and one master, and that should be Jesus Christ. If there is something else, then that something else is just what we will receive. Can money save us? No. Can fornication or adultery save us? No. Can selfishness save us? No. Only Jesus Christ can. So He needs to be the Lord of our lives. That is why self-control is so important. So that when Jesus tells us to do something, then we have the power through Him to control the sin that wants to take over in our lives. It's a constant battle. But we can win through Jesus Christ, through His Word, through His Holy Spirit. We can say yes to God and no to sin and to the world. We can go against the current. So I encourage you to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to obey Him, and to take control over your life through the Lord that has freed you from the power of sin and death. My advice is for you to enjoy and live out your freedom in Christ to do those things that count toward eternal life and eternal reward, and as always, for your own good and for the good of others. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, help us, O oh Lord, to value the salvation that you've given us. But help us to also understand that there is a reason, there's a purpose, there's a why for that salvation. Help us to understand that we need to obey you, that we need to have self-control, that we cannot live life based on our, on our whim, on our, on our desires, and especially not on our sinful nature. But we need to be ruled by you. Heavenly Father, help us to effectively make you the Lord of our lives. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to submit to you in obedience, whether we understand things or we don't, to just trust that you are Lord, that you are God, and that we just need to do what you tell us to do. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, help us, O oh Lord, to be able to exercise those things that your Bible teaches us, your word, your truth, your instructions for our lives. Help us to be able to live lives that bring honor and glory to you. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks because 
You want nothing but the best for us. You want nothing but eternal life and salvation and eternal reward for us, O Lord. Help us to understand that if we obey you and we exercise that self-control, but ultimately that we love you with everything that we are, we will gain all things with you as your children, as your servants, and as your friends. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we praise you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes Store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.